Welcome to the Sober Yoga Girl podcast with Alex McRobbs, international yoga teacher and sober coach. I broke up with booze for good in 2019, and now I'm here to help others do the same. You're not alone, and a sober life can be fun and fulfilling. Let me show you how. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sober Yoga Girl. I am very excited to have Sheena with me here today, and Shayna is an empowerment coach from the UK, and it's really wonderful to have you here. So welcome, Sheena. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Thanks for being here. I'm super happy you're here. Yeah, me too. I've been wanting to do this for a while. Um, yeah, ever since I heard, no, I heard the Be Sober Ladies on your podcast first, and then you were on theirs not so long ago, a few weeks ago now. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I really want to, God, I really want to have. Well, I'm so happy you're here. Good to be here, and we we did have a little chat, not uh, a few weeks ago, didn't we? We did an Instagram live for um, yes, your series. Yeah, that was nice as well. Yeah, I kind of lost momentum with that. I went for seven days, and then no one was signing up, and then I <laughs> I dropped the ball. It was going to be a daily thing, and then seven days was long enough. It's hard stuff like that, isn't it? You have really good intentions, you know, good ideas, and I think it's okay for give things a go. And if they don't work or they don't keep going, that's all right. It was still good while it happened, but yeah, totally. I definitely think, you know, we have a habit of feeling really crap if things don't continue or don't keep going the way we'd hoped when actually it ran its course. Yeah, exactly. And it was great because it probably prompted us to then do this full on podcast interview, yeah. which is amazing. So I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about yourself. Yeah, so I grew up in the UK. Um, my parents are both Indian, so they grew up in India and came to the UK in the 60s. So uh, me and my sisters were all born here and we grew up here. My parents are quite liberal for Asian parents who weren't born in this country in comparison to other Asian parents. So we had a, you know, we got to do a lot of what we wanted when we were younger, but there was still that element of stay in school, do your homework. You know, we probably right. couldn't go out and play like when we get to our teens, you know, and some of my friends would still be out late at night. We we were like, you know, get home and stay indoors. And there was a little bit of strictness, but nothing compared to other people. So when I came around the age of 17, 18, because obviously drinking age in the UK is 18, I was allowed to drink. And my parents were more of the opinion of just be sensible about it. You know, you're allowed, you're old enough. We're not going to stop you. Mm -hmm. Just don't be an idiot, you know. And I wasn't. I used to, if I think back now, I only really drank when I was... um out with friends which actually wasn't that often because I was in college and I had a part-time job on a weekend which is very early on a Saturday and Sunday morning so the opportunity to be out all the time wasn't it was quite rare we went out for people's birthdays so I don't think I was very um I don't think I was so responsible with it I enjoyed myself and then went to university and you know usual student drinking culture yeah again nothing out the ordinary um so nothing I don't think anything really seemed 
to be any, of any concern until I probably got into my mid-20s, um, and by which time I had moved away from my the city I lived in for university, and I'd moved to a new place, new job, had a few friends around me, but you know, ultimately a whole new location and kind of fresh start. And I, I said this to somebody the other day, I expected post-university life in my new graduate job to be a little bit like friends in that I'd move into this like house or flat share, we'd meet new people and we'd be socialised. I don't know, I just pictured something really cool were actually <laughs> it ended up being in a job that was okay I quite liked it but the people there weren't that social um sociable even and the there were no after work drinks there was no going out for lunch and that just didn't really happen and it was just the nature of the work I was doing I guess right and I did have a few friends around me in that city but they were all kind of in relationships and very committed to their careers and I was out there trying to meet new friends and make you know just I don't know have this young professional life and it didn't really happen that way and and I found myself quite lonely I lived in a house of people I didn't know but people also had nothing in common with they weren't they were nice people but just you know we didn't hang out um I spent most of my time just sat in my room and I think it was around about that time that I started to feel the loneliness was creeping in and mm-hmm. the doubts of what am I doing? <laughs> like, well, this isn't what I planned. This is what I wasn't what I expected. And everybody else in, you know, friends wise seemed to be doing all right. They seemed to be settling into their jobs. They seemed to have quite a good time. Friends started to think about, um, you know, they were moving in with their partners and stuff. And I was just there in this house with people I didn't really, it so much in the weekdays but I'm pretty sure it happened and then it crept and then the weekends was a definite but the weekends obviously it wasn't evening it was I'd just start joining in the day but it wasn't anything I never got messy it was just that I started drinking because I was lonely and a bit sad mm. and I think that really started to have an impact on my mental health and I took a bit of time out of work. I didn't really know or recognize what was going on with me. I just, there was something not quite right. Started to have a lot of um, like digestion and stomach problems. And at the time, I didn't know that it was linked to my, you know, that, well, ultimately I was, I was quite depressed, didn't connect the two. Um, so I was off because of the physical symptoms that were coming up, whereas actually I was just really, really low. Um and when I went back to that job, I realized I wasn't happy and maybe I should move. Maybe I should try somewhere else. My older sister lived in London and she said, why don't you, why don't you move to London? And I'd had quite a few friends move to London. You know, it's a new big, it's, it's London. It's exciting. It's a, how can you not have a good time there? How can you not, you know, find excitement and adventure and all that kind of stuff? So I moved moved in with her and her husband and I got a decent job it wasn't a job of my dreams basically I don't think at that point well yeah I didn't have a job of my dreams to think about then I didn't know what I wanted so I fell into something yeah that paid you know a decent amount of money but 
I'm not sure if it was the fact that I'd moved in with my sister that stopped me from meeting new people because I kind of had a ready-made family almost to move in with that I didn't push myself to do I think what people would do if they moved to a new city is to go out meet new people right so ultimately I was lonely again but in a different way um and also I didn't really move for the right reasons so I wasn't going to find what I was looking for especially when I didn't know what I was looking for and a few years of being in that no I was in London for a year and then it was after that I thought you know what I maybe I should go traveling which is really I felt at the time it's quite a random thing to decide to do because a lot of my friends or a lot of people tended to do that straight out of university you know you either before university or a gap year or after I went at 27 which is a little bit older than most people do it the whole backpacking thing um didn't bother me and it was that was the excitement at the time that I needed and was looking for I mean it's amazing I went to Australia for a couple of months and then from there I did all of Southeast Asia and had the best time absolutely the best time I mean, you're there now. You just did something about Asia that like yeah. dreamlike, magical place. Um, you fall in love with it. And I did. Absolutely just, yeah, loved it. But, you know, the, it was there's a time limit on things. And I, I did have to come home. And I came back just about the time that, so it was 2008. It was when the recession started. And I couldn't get a job when I moved back home. So I kind of had gone from a period of not feeling that great, a bit low to let's just go traveling. Let's just do something really exciting, which was great. And I came back to having to move back in like my home with my parents and be unemployed for quite a long time because I couldn't work. I couldn't find a job. So I was suddenly back, you know, I, I was on a high and I dropped back very mm. quickly down to earth to this reality of, wow. And now I'm at 28, I'm approaching 30 and even more like, I felt like I'd taken a 50 steps back at this point. And my sister also returned. She was away at the time as well. She returned not long after I did. Um, she's a few years younger than me, but I think similar situation that we both were like, what are we doing? We're back home. We were struggling to find jobs. And I think we probably did a lot of drinking together. Again, I wouldn't say that we saw it as problematic then. I don't know if it was, but we had each other. So it didn't seem as bad because you just got somebody to, you know, go out with and or drink at home with. Right. Um, but I was very adamant that when I hit 30, I just didn't want to be stuck there. I, I needed a plan. So we both agreed to move to Australia um, when I turned 30. And we did. And it was amazing <laughs> for, wow. you know, for the, well, I say a short time. I was there for three years. Um, my sister had to move to New Zealand because she couldn't get a visa to stay. So, you, I mean, you know what it's like. Yeah, trying to get visas to stay in countries and um yeah she she did a year and they just the work she was in was all government based so no sponsorship so she moved to New Zealand 
which is great because she's still there and loves it. And she's been there 10 years now. So that's amazing. Um, but I stayed, I got sponsored in a job and I did start to fall into, not fall. I started to create what I thought was the thing I've been looking for. I had a good set of friends, I had a decent job. Um, and I met someone and everything seemed to be finally working out. But really, it was me forcing things, maybe. The person I was with was not the right person for me. He didn't even really want to be in a relationship. But I was getting to that point where, like, what is wrong with me? And why does no one, you know, when you're just kind of wanting something to work and deep down you know it's not right. So we weren't together even a year. We split up and then it was a messy breakup still in, you know, still trying to remain friends and silly things that you do when you should make a clean break and you don't. Um, A few months after he returned to the UK, well, Northern Ireland for Christmas, because that's where he was from, Belfast. And I think he'd been gone a week when I found out I was pregnant. Oh my goodness. Um, and it was like, whoa, okay, now what do I do? And like, what I hadn't mentioned to you is that this is, although I'd been searching and on this journey of like, what, where do I belong and where do I fit and why is nothing really working out for me? You know, ultimately all I wanted was to settle down and have a family. Yeah. And now I'm 32 and the first time I'm presented with a situation of this could possibly be it. It wasn't how I've obviously expected it to be. Um, I was scared. I was on the other side of the world without any family, with no real financial support. I wouldn't have got any government support there because I wasn't a resident. And he basically said, I, if you want to do this, I will support you. But I have to be honest and say that I think I will end up resenting you, um, the child or the baby. And I mean, I didn't know what to do. What do you do in that situation? I think at the time I did what I thought the best thing was. And I I did terminate the pregnancy because all I could think of, this person doesn't want to be with me. This person has just said, he's been honest and said he would probably end up resenting me. And, And knowing him for as long as I did, he probably would have. Yet he's going to support me. What kind of life is that to be stuck with a person who doesn't want to be in your life anymore and you're forced into it? And that is not the situation I want to bring a child up in. Hardest thing I've ever had to decide. He wasn't there week before Christmas. And I spiraled after that. I spiraled from a place of being quite sad because we'd broken up and it was a bit messy anyway to I've just done this awful thing. And I couldn't, I couldn't live with myself. The drinking just got ridiculous, out of control. I was off, signed off work. People didn't really know what to do with me. Friends were struggling to know what to say, know how to help. Um, and I was just really, really depressed. And then basically because of the drinking, drinking-induced um, 
suicidal thoughts because I just couldn't live with myself. I was just like, I can't wow. believe I've done this. So there were a few um, times I ended up in hospital. I hit a point of I can't live with myself. And and at the time, you know, I can't, I can't explain whether did I really, really want to intentionally hurt myself or did I want to escape or did I want whatever was happening in my head to end? It's a really... It's a really weird place to be in, and it's a hard one to explain. I don't, you know, I think everybody's different. Did I want to die, or did I just not want to be there in that situation? And then you get to a point where you don't see a way out. Is the only way I can explain it. Honestly, for the next four or five months, I just went in a cycle of trying to pull myself out of that, but kept hitting... It was just going round in, round in circles because I wouldn't stop drinking. Eventually, my parents were like, you need to come home. We can't look after you while you're like thousands of miles away. So I moved back to the UK. And that was in itself. I mean, you know how stressful it is when you did it. You've done it very recently. You just decided, mm. right, I'm going. And obviously, that was, I'd like to think, really exciting. And we're doing this big adventure. I'm just moving. I remember. I booked my flight home on the Monday evening and on the Friday of that same week, the shipping company were picking my boxes up and on the Saturday morning I flew home. Wow. So like six days, well, less than six days. And I had to pack up three years of my life, which I couldn't pack everything up. Yeah. Most was left behind. So I came home and tried to heal and I think it started well um came home went to India with my parents which was amazing because I mean you know where where better to go and be with your thoughts and heal and do things like yoga I went to I spent two weeks in a what they call a yoga hospital so rather than a retreat it was you had um, a doctor that met you on the first day and planned your treatment for the two weeks. But by treatment, it was all the holistic Ayurvedic kind of massages and remedies and things like that. And I had a specific diet I had to follow, but that was all tailor-made for while, you know, the things I was um, dealing with at the time um, and included two yoga sessions a day, meditation and learning wow. about all that stuff. And it was amazing, like just the best experience um so it helped it helped massively what I think I underestimated was how much needing how much healing I needed to do Mm -hmm. so when you come out of something like that you're feeling good and I just thought that was it so I spent a bit more time in India then I came back to the UK and I'm still feeling quite good so I throw myself back into life and I got a job and I tried to move on and move forward. And the job I got was amazing. Brand new start, new friendships, new. Everything was great until it wasn't again. And the reason it wasn't, I think, was because little things that were setting me, bringing me down, knocking me back a little bit, were just adding to all the things I hadn't really dealt with properly. Right. So little things like get meeting I got into another relationship which didn't work out those feelings of 
why don't you know not being good enough for people not being good enough and something wrong with me why can't I meet somebody who's just decent and what you know all about I was just like why why am I what am I doing wrong why is it not working for me because you know at this point I'm getting to my mid-30s and all my friends are like on child number two if not three and second house and barely you know all I can say is like oh I've got a good job and I've got a car which I know is not important I know but when everybody around you is doing things that society tells you you should be doing and you're not it's quite hard and no one can relate to you and I think that's what I struggled with most is people couldn't relate to the times I did feel sad and did feel lonely and did feel a bit left out you know I remember trying to explain to people that when they go home and they say they've got no plans for the weekend their no plans is still spending time with their partner and at home and maybe doing stuff around the house me having no plans the weekend meant that the only person I would sometimes speak to on a weekend was the person in the supermarket when I went food shopping like there's a there's a difference when you are completely by yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think all of these things just, I wasn't dealing with them. I wasn't processing them. I was just living in a bit of a, God, my life's really crap. And when is it going to get better? But not really doing anything to make it better. On top of that, drinking a lot alone. Um. And there were things that happened in the last, before just before I got sober, in the last three or four years prior to me deciding I, that's it, it has to stop, that pushed me over the edge a little bit. And then again, ending up in hospital, getting to the point where I just did not see the point of my existence anymore. I hated myself. I just thought there was absolutely no point in me being here. Oh, this is going to sound ridiculous. I ran away once. Like what adult runs away, but I wanted to disappear. I remember I got in my car and I just went. Wow. I was a high risk missing person on the police like database because I I just got up and left. I don't know where, you know, when you, you, I didn't know what I was thinking or planning or what, but I just, maybe I just needed some space or I don't know. I can't even, again, it's something that's really hard to explain. Can't really explain. Um, and then it was February 2020. So just before lockdown and then just before it's, you know, we've been told it's a pandemic and not just the flu from China or whatever. And I was at home. My parents are in India. They go every year to India over the winter. So those the winter months were always the time I was by myself and I wasn't at my lowest but the drinking was still happening and I think I was just having a really bad weekend where I didn't want to speak to anyone didn't want to deal with anyone and my parents were trying to call because well they obviously now are living a life where they never know what's going on with me though they were always torn between they need to get on and live their life whilst always worrying about what I'm doing where my head's at so anytime I didn't answer the phone automatically they're gonna think 
what what's going on so i think i probably just didn't answer the phone over the weekend a few times or kept messaging saying oh i'm busy i'll call later and they're not calling and you know they're just getting like what is going on so i'm just sat there on a sunday afternoon watching tv i was drinking i wasn't wasted or anything but i was you know i was drinking and the door of not the front door i didn't even hear the front door the door of the room i was in just suddenly opens and it's um two of the neighbors from my street just in my house i'm like hi um my parents are freaked out and they called them and said please can you go around because one of them's got a key i said please can you go around and make sure she's okay well, they thought I was dead. Wow. And I think it was a turning point for me because up until then, it would only it had only been really, really close friends and my immediate family that knew how bad things got at times. No one else was aware how bad it was. So that really woke me up in that these people are your neighbours. They've seen you grow up. We moved into that house when I was seven. And I was 39 when that happened. So they've seen me literally grow up and now they're having to come and check on me. It's a really like weird situation, but it really shook me. I think there was about a space of a week where I was sent, I say sent to, but yeah, sent to go and stay with my auntie who lives just not far from here while I packed and my parents sorted out a flight to India. And yeah, February... February the 10th, I left the UK to fly to India and I landed on the 11th. And I, it was, I basically said to myself, when you land, that's it. Things have to change. You will stop drinking. You will stop smoking. You will stop this, whatever you're doing, you will stop it. And you need to change. And that was the start of the sobriety journey. Wow. What a journey that you've been on. And thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing. And at points when you told the story, there like there were tears in my eyes and I had shivers because you've just overcome so much. You know, there's this this quote that, you know, people or they often say that, you know, the most beautiful people have like overcome. It's like, what have you overcome in your past for you to be? that way, you know, and then, and that's like the truth for you. Like from, since I've met you, you're just this bright, beautiful light. And, and you've just been through so much to, to become who you are today. You'll know. And people say all the time and it was hard and there was some horrible things that have happened. And, you know, it's not until recently that I've started doing their real healing and the real work that you realize, you know, that there was trauma there. There was, I didn't see it like that. I didn't see, especially um, the pregnancy because it was a choice. I thought I can't call that trauma. Right. It wasn't until a few years after that, a therapist said, the therapist said to me, I don't think you've grieved. I'm like, yeah, but uh, am I allowed to? Like, is that something like, you know, it's this, you just assume that you're not supposed to, or that's not a thing because it was all very, very messed up. And it's like years of getting help. I, you know, I did get therapy and lots of different amount of psychiatrists, psychologists. I've, you know, been through them all and I've got help and little bits of useful advice and support from 
every single one of them. Um, it wasn't until my last therapist I thought he was the one that just felt I felt like he knew me better than I knew myself. He was the one that really, really helped me start turning a corner. But um, I think I did a lot of the work myself while I was in India. Mm-hmm. I had time. I had space. I had very little, you know, I didn't have to be worrying about job and finances and people. I was taken away out of, out of my normal everyday environment and put in an environment that is, I think, just perfect for the what I needed. Right. And it allowed me to do... So it wasn't just thinking. I think I really genuinely went through the process of accepting a lot of what had happened. Forgiveness for forgiving others and obviously forgiving me massively, not just for the obvious things, but for the guilt that I carried for putting my parents and my family and my friends through so much pain. So I had I had to forgive myself in order to move on. And I realized that and I did a lot of that work then. Um, but it's weird because when people say, well, how did you know what to do? And I can't put my finger on it. It's like it was just time. And I instinctively just knew this is how now I move forward. I have to accept it. I have to forgive, let it go. And things just naturally it feels like things naturally just progressed from there and it makes it sound so simple and so easy and it I'm sure it wasn't like it's it's a bit of a blur now but at the time it felt natural Um, and by the time I got back to the UK I did feel ready for right what do I do next steps and I remember going to see my old therapist I stayed in touch with him and I got back and I went to see him and I said, this is where I'm at. I'm actually feeling really good. And we had a good chat. And he said, I think you are. I don't think there's anything I can help you with now. But I said to him, I was like, yeah, but I, I don't feel ready to completely go it alone. Maybe you can't. Maybe you're not personally, but I, I need something. And it's at that point that I met my friend Laura. I'm calling my friend now. But at that point, she was somebody I contacted in her co- coaching capacity. And she literally was the perfect, you know, just like, I didn't really know what coaching was at that point. Yet somehow she just appeared in my kind of little, you know, world. And funnily enough, just happened to be, I mean, of all the coaches you meet online and find online, she was, she lived in the same town as me. Wow. And there was just something that I thought, "Mm, yeah, I need to work with her. And we only worked together for a short time, like a couple of months. And in it transitioned from her being my coach to being a friend who now, obviously, when you've got coaching friends, you know, you can go to them and they will help you talk through things. So she's just there. She's just a friend now. And it's amazing. I spent my birthday with her in September. and But she is the one that instigated the coaching journey. Not that she planned. It was a conversation we had. And I saw what she was doing. I was like, do you know what, Laura? I was like, I, I, I think I'd like to do what you do. I think I'd be good at this. But I saw it as some kind of long-term goal that was years away right. in the future. I was like, you know, surely it takes a long time to get to that point. 
um, and she she tells me now she's like you you saw it so far away but I knew that it was actually around the corner but I didn't tell you that she said I you had to figure it out for yourself um but with her guidance I kind of went on and did some I did an NLP training course as practitioner and a lot of the things I think I use my clients is is just from my own experiences and the fact that I've done the work I've been on the journey myself and I did yeah I've done I've done training I've done courses to kind of back all that up but a lot of it is from me just kind of coaching from what I know because I think that's one of the best places to coach from Mm -hmm. genuine experience rather than a book or a course absolutely um and then that was about the time that I um, came across Be Sober. It's amazing. So tell me about the work you do with them. So initially, I found them because I suddenly realised, right, I'm, I, think I was about six months sober at that, this point. And I think lockdown in the UK was just coming to an end and they were going to ease restrictions. And I thought, I know that my friend's or at least people I thought were friends. I'm not saying that they were bad people, but people from my previous life, shall I say, were not going to be good for me anymore. And I needed to meet people on the same page. So I started looking around and I found Be Sober. And I I noticed that they did um, social events in Manchester where they're based. So I just said, oh, do you guys do anything like... um, near Birmingham which is where I am well just outside Birmingham and they said we don't at the moment but what we're doing is actually looking for ambassadors to start their own events under the umbrella of Be Sober in their own area um would you like to apply to be an ambassador um and I thought about it and I thought oh god I only wanted to kind of join these things I didn't want to (laughs) (laughs) a role but then I, I I thought about it and I thought I know me if I'd have joined just as a member or just as somebody to a- attend events when I felt like it, I would have stayed in the background. I would have mm-hmm. just probably shown a bit of interest, but not really put myself out there. Right. And then I thought, you know what? The ambassador role is giving me responsibility. It keeps me connected with the soap community and it's probably what I need to do. So I said, right, okay, let's do it. And the best decision I ever made absolutely the best decision I've made in that year I'm joining August last year so just over a year now and the people that I've met the things I'm doing because of my journey with them the coaching journey has been work going alongside it but I think me being the person who will now come on a podcast or go on an Instagram live with somebody who hosts the drop-in sessions with the community that has come from the confidence that Be Sober has brought out of me. It's amazing. They just helped me transform who I was. I just can't like the things I will sometimes have in my calendar for the week. And I have to like, just go, who is this person? Who is this person that is scheduling in things like, you know, Instagram live with Lisa and then Alex and Tom doing a podcast. And then <laughs> I've got to, do, it's just, it, it's madness. 
Yeah, it's incredible. It's so incredible. I put a post out just the other day when I kind of had one of these moments where I just sat back and go, this is me now. I thought, oh my God, like I'm genuinely proud of myself because I didn't think I had it in me. And it was just this nice feeling of, yeah, you did it. And all that pain and suffering and all of that was, yeah, worth it. Maybe not the right kind of words, but there was a reason for it all. Right. Because without, without it, this, this Shana wouldn't exist. Right. It's incredible. Honestly, it's such a amazing transformation that you've been on. And when you think of like the be sober thing, for example, we wouldn't even know each other if it weren't no. for be sober. Right. I came to one of yeah. your lounges and that's how we connected and here we are. And so it's so true. Just putting yourself out there and taking leaps and risks and um, joining these things like that's even something I'm really trying to take initiative now is like, I'm so comfortable in my little community that I've built and I'm really trying to like step outside. And that's where yeah. like, you know, me coming to be sober or I'm exploring other sober recovery communities. And so, yeah, just like finding, getting outside your comfort zone because amazing things come from it. Yeah. Well, a hundred percent. And that's it, isn't it? Cause for now, I guess your community that you've created is your comfort zone. Yeah. So, and for me, be sober is, has become mine. And it's little things like there's somebody, a friend of mine, well, I call her a friend now, and, and she is somebody I connected with on Instagram who's not a part of Be Sober, but she was holding a sober event a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking loads, we just hadn't met. And I, she invited me to this event and she said, you know, you're coming as my guest, so don't worry about, you know, you don't need to get a ticket or anything, you're, you're my guest. But that the fear that put in me to step out the be sober right. world and go to a different and to meet people in person and people I hadn't met and it was so scary. I mean, and I did it, and I'm so glad I did. But even when you are, you've done so much, like so much I've done in the last year that stepped out of my comfort zone, that now has all been com- become comfortable, and now it's like pushing again. Yeah. What's next? What do we? Yeah. What do we try now? Kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, it's just been a most amazing journey. And I feel a bit like, can I say, does it sound a bit cheesy to say, oh, I've been on this great journey, but genuinely you catch yourself and you end up smiling or just, you get this feeling inside like, oh my God, this is, this is my life now. Mm -hmm. And I love it. And I think the best part is when I see people like you who same kind of journey and, and where you are now. And I, I get excited because I know so much is still to come. Like I'm so early days in mine. Yeah. There's How so long are you? Once what? I am uh, 22 months so Amazing. So almost two years, um, two years in February. Uh, it'll be two years in February. Um, and I think, you know, coaching wise and be sober around the, well, be sober just over a year and coaching for just under a year. Yeah. So, and it, and that's a lot of different things, I think, all been happening in, at the same time. Mm-hmm. So a lot been going on. 
but it's all going in the right direction. So, yeah, I love it. And I have one more question for you. So if you have any advice for someone who wants to quit drinking, what advice would you give them? I always say, and I always think that a lot of people um, make the mistake at the beginning of their journey, if this is what they want to do, is thinking that stopping the drinking will be the hard part, just stopping the drinking. But actually what a lot of us discover is the drinking is just the symptom of yeah, an underlying something or other. And I'm not saying you've got deep, dark rooted problems, but you may not be aware that the reason you're drinking is something else and it's that what you need to address. So yes, get get a grip of the the, the cravings and the triggers and all of that kind of stuff, you know, do the the reading of the quitlet, listen to the podcast. Yeah, amazing. Use all that kind of stuff that is out there now. But be prepared to go deeper because you will have to go deeper if you if you need it to stick. Because I think what people do is they're like, oh, but I'm listening to the podcast and I'm reading the books and it's not working yet. I'm like, that, that's not going to get you sober. That's going to help. And it's going to make you feel like you're not alone and you're going to find relatable content. But you need to find, you need to ask yourself the, quest, the big questions, which are within you, not, on a, not in a book, not in a podcast. You've got the answers to why you drink and how to stop. So true. Wow. So it's, it's, I think that makes it sound really scary, but I think, and I, maybe this isn't for everybody. Maybe not everybody has to do that kind of digging around. But I think, I think more often than not, there is a bigger thing underneath that you just need to address. Right. Well, Sheena, thank you so much. Honestly, I really appreciate you coming and being so vulnerable and open and sharing everything that you went through to get to who you are today. And I think it's really going to resonate and inspire so many of the listeners. So thank you so much for sharing. Oh, no, honestly, thank you, Alex. It's been so nice being on here with you. But thank you for having me. And if there's anything coming up or anything you want to share with us about any coaching programs you have or any offerings. The one thing I have got coming up is, might be a bit short notice, and it is it is based on where people are located in the world. I've just got a workshop next week, which is just about a bit of goal setting and intention setting for 2022. That's amazing. Um, a really just fun kind of hour going through a few guided visualizations and stuff to make sure that everybody has the kind of year that they deserve. I love so, it. So yeah, if you, I mean, I'm sure they'll be able to find me via your podcast and um, yeah, amazing. that is something that's coming up. Perfect. And yeah, I'll put all the links to um, all of your information in the podcast episode as well. So anyone can find you interested. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. And I'm sure I will speak with you soon again. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Sober Yoga Girl with Alex McRobbs. I am so, so grateful for every one of you. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next one and leave a review before you go. See you soon. Bye.